Um, we'll be reading from three different passages this morning, um, first in John 1, and then Mark 3, and Matthew 10. Um, they're all printed in the inside of your bulletin there if you um, don't want to be flipping back and forth in your Bible. Um, and we're going to read out loud together the Word of God. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a father against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a joy to, to lift our voices together to you this morning, to proclaim truth, to have our, our faith strengthened in, in the presence of one another. And Lord, now as we come to hear from your word, Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord, to help us understand, not just with our heads, but with our hearts, what you have said. And then, Lord, we need you to help us believe it. And then, Lord, we need you to help us obey it. And all of this, Lord, depends on you entirely and completely. So, Father, would you come and be with us now, I pray. Father, would you come and empower this whole experience. I ask, Father, that we would be aware of you so much more than anything else. And that you would use our time together this morning, and especially now our time in your word this morning, to treasure Christ more and deeper in our hearts to form our lives around him, to be shaped by your truth, to reflect your glory in this world. For all these things, Lord, we ask for your help and we trust that you, Lord, desire these things so much more than we do. So it's with confidence that we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.
a few years ago, I had some friends who had spent decades as, as missionaries in another culture and a culture where the ideas having to do with marriage were, were quite a bit different than our ideas here in, here in Canada. Uh, in, in the culture that, that these friends of mine were missionaries in, um, men would often marry women far, far younger than them. Uh, their wives were viewed as little more than, than property. Uh, it was it was pretty pretty rough a lot of the ways that that they were treated marriage was a really big deal so they found as as new believers would come to faith and follow the lord that that they needed a lot of instruction on marriage and so they found themselves teaching these weekend marriage seminars very often and so he told the story of the one time where they were doing this and during a break, one of the, one of the local men came up to ask him some questions and he thought, oh good, I get a chance to, you know, talk and interact and this guy had been listening to him very carefully and he came up and he said, I have a question for you. Can I beat my wife? And, and my friend said he just wanted to put his face in his palms. Like he had been teaching the whole morning about the biblical vision of marriage and how husbands need to lay their lives down for their wife like Christ did for the church and cherish and protect them. And this guy just was not getting it. And so instead of, you know, lamenting, he very patiently went into it all over again. Everything he had just taught. No, you cannot beat your wife. And here's why. And here's all the reasons. And... As he's talking, he remembers, you know, this guy's look, looking like he's listening very carefully and nodding. And when my friend finished this, this man said, okay, but what if she needs it? <laughs> and that story has always stuck with me as just a perfect example of how, how our culture conditions us to think in a certain way. Our culture trains us to think that certain things are, are normal. Certain things are as normal as the air that we breathe. And so when we encounter something in scripture that is out of sync with our culture, it's very easy for it to just bounce off of us. It doesn't sink in. Because the way that our culture has trained us to think puts blinders on us. We either just don't notice it. Or if we do notice what scripture is saying that's different than our culture, we just might not take it very seriously. It might just bounce off. And we ask questions like, what if she needs it? It takes a lot of work to submit ourselves to scripture. It takes a lot of work to allow scripture to reshape the way that we think, especially if we've been thinking a certain way our entire lives. And that story is just an example of, of how difficult it was for that man to wrap his head around the truth of the Bible because of the culture that he had grown up in. In the past several weeks, we've been studying how the big storyline of the Bible impacts our lives today. And I hope you've noticed many times in these past weeks how the truth of Scripture is different. It is out of step with the messages that we often hear in our Canadian culture, the, the culture that each of us is surrounded by. We've learned, for example, in recent weeks that work isn't a, a necessary evil that we need just to pay for our, our hobbies, but instead work is the thing we've been created for. And especially as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've learned that money and possessions are things that we should be careful with, even suspicious of, 
rather than being a, a, a surefire sign of God's blessing, piles of money and stuff might actually be a bit of a negative thing, to put it mildly. And Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, lest it pull our hearts away from himself. We learned that marriage is not a matter of falling in love and experiencing endless romance. Instead, marriage is about work. Marriage is about the mission. And in the new covenant, marriage is about putting the gospel on display for other people to see. Marriage is about Jesus and his church more than it is about ourselves. And then last week, we heard that just like marriage is a gift, so singleness is also a gift in the new covenant. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us, if someone is able to keep their desire under control, they should seriously consider remaining single and using their singleness for the kingdom of God. So in other words, singleness is not a problem to be fixed, but for many people, it's a privilege to be invested for the kingdom. And I know that as we've heard all these different messages, there's often something inside of us that says, really? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem, that just doesn't seem right to me. You know how I know that? Because I'm the preacher guy and I feel that. But we need to remember that just like that man asking, can I beat my wife? What if she needs it? it seems ridiculous to us, right? But so also we have each been conditioned to think in certain ways by our culture. And so when we encounter something in scripture that sounds different or that challenges the way that we think, it's very tempting for us just to say, that doesn't seem right to me. That doesn't fit with my experience. But those aren't the kinds of things that we should be thinking first. Instead, we should be asking, is this in the Bible? Is this what God's word teaches because if it's what the Bible teaches, then we need to change the way that we think. As painful of a process as that can be. We need to re allow ourselves to be reshaped instead of ignoring or just choosing to not pay attention to certain parts of the Bible. Romans 12.2 describes this process, by the way. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's an ongoing process, right? Do not be conformed to this world. This world is trying and it's working all the time to conform us to itself. And if we just do nothing, we will be conformed to this world. It will happen. And so all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, we are always in need of continual transformation and renewal of our minds through the word of God. So we're going to do that again this morning as we turn to God's word and allow it to renew our minds as we specifically look at this issue, this topic of family and what the big storyline of the Bible has to say about family. In our Canadian culture today, I think I see two basic kinds of messages about the family. The one message that I've encountered often is that family is everything. 
Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've seen it cross-stitched and hung on someone's wall before. Maybe you've heard someone say that without blushing. Oh, family is everything. For many Canadians and, and, and many Canadian Christians, their immediate and their extended family relationships are the most important relationships on the planet. And they will do whatever they can to protect and to maintain those relationships. Family is everything. On the other hand, in much of our culture today, family is under siege, right? Satan's been really hard at work in our lifetime attacking God's design for the family. And we've gotten to the point now where the traditional family is seen as a bad thing by many people in our culture. And so on the one hand, we've got family is everything. And on the other hand, we've got family is nothing. And in contrast to each of these messages, we need God's word to speak into our understanding and to reshape how we think and how we feel. One quick word. This was not planned that we would be talking about family the day before family day on a long weekend. This is just the way that it worked out, and I think that's great. So, like we've been doing for the past few weeks, we're going to go back and see, very briefly, what does the big storyline of the Bible have to say about family? You, and we did a bit of this last week. I know not everyone was here last week, but, but last week we went back and we looked at the, the covenants that God made with Adam, with Noah, with Israel, with David. Remember, that's how the storyline of the Bible is built, on these big covenants. And we saw that in those covenants, family was a really, really big deal. From Abraham onwards, from the covenant with Abraham going forward, God's people was an ethnic people group. The literal children of Abraham, the Jewish people, that, that was God's people. So the way that you became a member of God's people was by being born. That's how you, that's how you were a part of God's people. You got born to a family that descended from Abraham. That's why there's so many genealogies in scripture as people were to kind of demonstrate that they were a part of this family line. And we know God promised to Abraham that that God would give Abraham lots of children. That was in the promise. Look up at the stars. So shall your offspring be. So this helps us understand, especially from the, the covenant with Abraham forward, getting married and having babies was super important because that's how you participated in the growth of God's people. That's how you participated. That's how you got in on God's promise to Abraham. So shall your offspring be. You want to be a part of that? Of course you do. Well, you have babies. That's how God's people grew. And it's interesting, specifically in in the covenant that God made with Israel, he promised them, if you obey me, you're going to have lots of babies. He, he promised to bless the fruit of their womb. And he specifically promised that there would be no one barren among them. That was one of the covenant promises if they obeyed God's law. So if you had kids, especially lots of kids, that was proof that you had been faithful to the Lord. So that's why, for example, Psalm 127, behold, 
Children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Within that covenant, that was true. It also unlocks some other things. For example, the prophet Samuel, his mother Hannah, when she couldn't have a child, she was so distraught. And there's, there's normal human reasons for that, but also within that covenant, here she was, Hannah, a righteous woman, obeying God, doing everything right, and not able to have children. God was not, it seemed, keeping his covenant promises to, to them. God had promised, if you obey me, I'll bless the fruit of your womb. And here she is obeying him and can't have children. And so it must have seemed to her like God had completely forgotten about her. These are just some examples that within the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Israel and with David, having children is how the promises were fulfilled. And so belonging to a family was everything. Having children was everything. Family was everything. We could say roughly. And then Jesus showed up. And it should be no surprises to us by now. We should not be surprised that Jesus changed things. Jesus turned over the tables in more ways than one. Jesus challenged the categories. Jesus upset the status quo. Jesus announced the arrival of of the end times. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus announced and established the new covenant And we need to know this morning that within this new covenant kingdom of God, which you are a part of if you have trusted in and are following Christ, within this new covenant kingdom, our relationship with family is different than it was for those within the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants. In fact, our very definition of family has changed. These are the things that we're going to be exploring this morning. So three points that we're going to look at now. How, is the, how has family changed in the new covenant? Three, three ways we're going to see that. Number one, the new covenant people of God grows spiritually, not physically. The new covenant people of God primarily grows spiritually, not physically. The main way that the new covenant people of God grows is not by people having babies. That shouldn't be a surprise to us because we've covered this material. We know that, that God's new covenant people are more than just one ethnic group, more than just the Jewish people. Because we know from Ephesians 2 that us Gentiles have been welcomed in. We know that on the cross, Jesus died for people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Revelation 5.9. And so we no longer become a part of the people of God just by being born to the right parents. Instead, we become a part of the people of God by being born again. And we are joined to Christ by faith. We read about this, and we read about this together earlier from John chapter 1, right? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. That means not born in, in, in the normal human way, but born of God, a supernatural inner birth. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 3, when he was talking with Nicodemus. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, it's not good enough for you to just be born one time to parents who happen to come from Abraham. You need to be born again. You need the Holy Spirit to cause you to be inwardly transformed, to be given, be given new, inner, eternal life through the Holy Spirit. And that is how we become a part of the people of God in the new covenant. That's what Paul says in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So this is how God grows his new covenant people. Not primarily through physical offspring, but through spiritual transformation. Oh man, there's, see, there's so much. For this morning I had to trim off a lot. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant, Jesus, on the cross. It says, he shall see his offspring. Jesus didn't have any physical children, but we are his offspring through spiritual rebirth. Now, I hope you know, of course, that having physical babies can still be a good, a very good thing and very often an effective way of growing God's Kingdom. Now, it's not because our kids are automatically a part of God's kingdom just because they were born to us. We know it doesn't work that way. But it, instead, we have a captive audience, <laughs> literally for years, to get to teach and instruct these little ones as they grow in God's truth. And very, very often, not all the time, Please understand that, that this is not a guaranteed promise, but we just have seen very often God uses godly parenting as a means of, of bringing a child to faith. So no promises there. It is something God seems to do often enough. But we know God uses all kinds of other ways of bringing people to Christ. How many of you here today were led to faith in Christ by someone other than your mom or dad? And I hope you also know that as wonderful and important and significant as having physical children is, we don't need to have physical children of our own to be a part of growing the people of God. And in fact, like we saw last week, not having physical children may actually free you up to be more fruitful in growing the kingdom of God. And the classic example of that is the Apostle Paul. Never had a child of his own. And yet God used him to bring so many into God's people. And that's why Paul was a dad. That's what he said, 1 Corinthians 4.15. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, in the new covenant, you don't need to have kids of your own to be a dad. You don't need to have kids of your own to be a mom because we can be a spiritual father and mother to many as we share the gospel and disciple people. 
And even if you have kids of your own, there's nothing stopping you from being a spiritual father to others or being a spiritual mother to others. So I hope you see that this big, first big truth we've seen here, this could be a whole sermon. It has big implications for all of us. Parents of small children, this should encourage you to build your home around the gospel. Bring up your children, like Ephesians 6, 2 says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray and work and be available to the Lord that your children may not just be born once, but may be born again. This truth also has big implications for couples who don't have children or singles or people whose children have already grown. We all get to play a part in growing the people of God as we share the gospel and make disciples. And not having physical children is no disadvantage. So this is our first point. The kingdom of God in the new covenant, the people of God grows primarily through spiritual growth, not through physical growth. Now there's a second way that the new covenant changes our understandings of family. Second way, and it's this. The church is our true family. In the new covenant, the group of people who have been born again, in other words, the church, they are our true family. Jesus taught this, and the New Testament teaches this in many ways, but the classic place that we read from together is Mark chapter 3. Jesus' mother and brothers come for him, and they're waiting outside this building for him, and someone, someone tells Jesus this, and what we need to understand is in that culture, if your family is waiting for you outside the door, you go. <laughs> Honoring your family it, it was, was a very, very high priority. And so people are expecting Jesus to snap to it and to go. And Jesus stays put. He looks around him, right? and we read this together, and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So please notice something here. Jesus agrees that he should be with his family. And so people thought, well, Jesus, you should be with your family. 100% agreed. But what Jesus does is he completely redefines who his family actually is. Who's his true family? The people around him who believe and do the will of God. They are more his family than the people outside the door. If that's a hard pill for us to swallow, we can just imagine how hard of a pill that would have been to swallow to those first century Jewish people where family was everything to them more than, it, more than it is to any of us. But that's what Jesus said. The community of people following Jesus, believing in his words, doing the will of God, that was more of his family than his physical family was. They had more of a priority for him. We're going to come back to this idea at the end and, and talk, some, talk about some of 
what that means for us. But there's a third truth we're going to consider first. So number one, the people of God grows primarily spiritually, not physically. Number two, the people of the spiritual people of God, that's our true family, the church. And number three, very often we will need to make a choice between our spiritual family and our physical family. We see this, by the way, right in that passage from Mark that we were just discussing, Mark chapter 3. If you were to read the whole chapter, you'd hear the backstory, which is that, that Jesus' family, at that point, they didn't believe in him. They didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was a lunatic. And they were going to him to, to seize him, it says, like to, to kind of bring him home and say, look, you gotta, you got to knock this off. Get some, they're going there to, to knock some sense into him. And so Jesus is in a situation where he has to choose between honoring his birth family or continuing his ministry to his true spiritual family. And that's a choice that God's people have had to make over and over and over again. And that is a choice that Jesus actually himself several times told us that we should expect we would have to make this choice. We read from Matthew 10 together earlier, but it's so important that I'm going to read it again. Hear these words from your Lord Jesus. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, says the Lord Jesus, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me, says the Lord Jesus, is not worthy of me. And we just need to soak this in that Jesus is saying about as clearly as possible that one of the effects of his coming is that families will be divided. That when we choose to follow Jesus, that will very often bring division between us and those members of our family who do not follow Jesus. And therefore, the only people who are able to follow Jesus are those who love him more than their father and mother and son and daughter. This isn't, this isn't in the fine print. This isn't something only that some advanced, super spiritual Christians might have to deal with at some point. No, Jesus said, you can't follow me unless this is on the table. When we signed up, so to speak, to follow Jesus, we wrote out a blank check that says, you have everything, including my family. It's all there right up front. And Jesus says that if we don't love him more than our family, we're not worthy of him. Again, if this sounds countercultural to us, which it does, we have to just soak in how countercultural this would have been in the first century. We've already heard how for the Jewish people, family was everything. But it was more than just the Jewish people. In, in the first century, 
Families had, even in other cultures, like in the Roman culture, families had such a strong identity. Fathers were almost like a king over their homes and, and families made decisions together. So if you were going to convert to a different religion, you just didn't go do that on your own. You would go and talk to your family about it and your family would decide what you were going to do or your dad would decide what you were going to do. Families ruled by fathers made these decisions together. That was how the cultures worked. And Jesus turns that all over and says, no, 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 no. I am number one. Don't wait for your family to come to me. You come to me. You yourself. Love me more than your dad. Love me more than your son. Children, choose to follow and obey me regardless of what your parents do. That's what Jesus is saying. Parents, choose to follow and obey me regardless of what your children do. And Jesus warned that strife would ensue. He says, I've come to bring a sword. People literally were killed by their families and that continues around the world today. But that's the cost of following Jesus. And like we said, Jesus wasn't shy about this. This didn't just come out once or twice. He said it even more directly in Luke chapter 14. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Bible commentators freak out over that passage because we're not supposed to hate people. Our, our, thought we're supposed to love people, right? And Jesus just said, you can't come to him unless you hate your family. Now, some Bible scholars say, well, the word hate in that culture, it just means that you love them less than you love Jesus. Others make the point, and I think this point is very valid, that when we follow Jesus and we give him our loyalty, instead of giving our loyalty to our families, it will feel like hatred to our families. It will feel to them sometimes like we are hating them when all that we're doing is giving our loyalty to Jesus instead of to them. But that's what Jesus is saying. We can't be his disciple unless he has all of our loyalty and all of our love. And we shouldn't miss, like one commentator said, the offensiveness of this saying in a society where honor of parents was considered virtually the highest obligation and one's family was usually one's greatest joy. Jesus is going right for the jugular here of their sense of obligation in that culture to their families. And he says, love me more. So in some ways this morning, this isn't a sermon about family. This is a sermon about Jesus, that Jesus is better than our families. 
Right? Otherwise, Jesus is being cruel here to say, love me more than your families. What a mean thing to say, unless he's better, unless it is worth it to say goodbye to everybody else, including your closest relationships, and to know Christ instead. And I hope you know this morning that Jesus is better. And there's another passage in Matthew we didn't put in my notes, but he said, no one who gives up family for me is not going to be rewarded in this life and in the age to come. This will be something Jesus rewards, but it is something that he put on the table. We have to love him more. Now, there's so much more we could say here, but for this morning, we need to sew this up and try to make some applications to ourselves today. So let's try and, try, try and do that. We've already seen from this, the first point this morning, the people of God grow spiritually, primarily more than physically. We've seen that this gives us each a responsibility of sharing the gospel and making disciples. That's how the people of God grows. And I just want to repeat it again, lest, lest anyone misunderstand. This truth does not say that people should no longer have physical offspring. Married couples have many good reasons to consider having children, and God often uses parents to lead their children to faith. But we shall, so I, I've said that, so please hear that. But I'm going to say something else now that's also important for us to hear. Having physical babies is no longer a command for God's people in the new covenant. doesn't mean it's a, we're commanded to not do it. But it's no longer our number one priority. Our number one priority is having spiritual offspring, which we do by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. So, in the covenant with Adam and with Noah, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And you know what our version of that is? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the way we put that truth into practice. And parents, if you have children, disciple your children. And if your children have grown or you don't have children, or even if you do have young children, let's all join in this great work of missions and evangelism. And we're going to be hearing more about that in the weeks ahead. Secondly, I just want to soak in this truth that our church family is our true family. I went to a church years ago, every week we would sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Some of you know this song. It always felt like I was kind of not really buying it, though, as we would sing that song. I mean, I called this pe these people my family, but really, they came nowhere close to my real family in terms of my priorities and my loyalties. You know, oh yeah, he's my brother in the Lord, which means I have to put up with him. But according to Jesus, our church family, this, the, this community of the redeemed, it's, it's more our family than our physical family. 
we should show just as much love, care, and concern for one another as we do for our physical families. There should be no such thing as a lonely Christian. So I'm going to suggest a way that we can apply this truth to our lives at the nitty-gritty level. And there's many. I hope you're thinking of your own. Let me just ask a question. What are your family traditions? What are the things in your life that you think of are just for family? Are you willing to include your other brothers and sisters in Christ in those things or not? It's just a test to help us evaluate how much we really buy, how much we really believe what Jesus and God's word says that our church family is our true family. See, I grew up in a home where certain celebrations were just off limits to anybody outside of our nuclear family. Birthdays, Christmas, they were for us. That's it. But in recent years, Amy and I and my two sisters, when we were back in Regina, we had so much joy opening up these events to our church family. And why not? Because this is our real family. So maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe it's not... Christmas or birthdays, maybe it's other areas where, where your concern and, and loyalty to your church family is not really where it should be if you really believe that they were your true family. So we just need to ask ourselves, what would it look like if I really believed this? And am I willing to do what I need to do to put this into practice? Let's take that home and take that before the Lord. And again, a word of encouragement. I think we do this really well here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I really think we do. I love watching you. I love watching us take care of each other. There's so much of that happening wonderfully here. But I hope you also know that, that we're never done. And I think that we should all desire to grow in this. So a third reflection this morning, coming out of that third truth, which is that very often we'll have to choose between our spiritual family and our physical family, between Jesus and our birth family. It shouldn't be a surprise to us when we find ourselves in a spot where we love Jesus and parts of our family don't. I'm not saying that that, that is not a painful experience. Please hear that, I'm not downplaying that. But what I am saying is that Jesus told us to expect that. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. If you love Jesus and your kids don't, or if you love Jesus and your parents don't, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. Jesus told us to expect that this would happen. Now, it's wonderful when we don't need to choose between our physical family and our spiritual family. It's wonderful when our physical family also believes in Jesus and we get both. But when that doesn't happen and when we have to choose between being loyal to our families and loyal to Jesus, there should be no contest. Jesus should win every time. And I've noticed that here in North America, Christians very often choose family first and Jesus second. Loyalty to family first, obedience to Jesus second. 
Many Christians seem content to even disobey clear commands of God's word for their families or have a double standard, treat sin in one way with other people, but in a different way when it's their families. And we need to hear this morning that if we're following Jesus, family is not everything. It can't be everything. Jesus needs to be everything. So I'm just going to read here from a recent article that pastor and author Kevin DeYoung posted on his blog. And, and I think he said some things that I think is just helpful for me to read these here. So until I tell you I'm, I've stopped reading, I'm reading from his article. I think this fits in really well with what we're saying today. He says this, in a world hell-bent on redefining marriage and undermining the fundamental importance of the family, Christians would do well to honor and support all those trying to nurture healthy families. And please, I'm jutting in here, please know that is a priority for us at UBC. Just wait to see the books for children and young families we're going to be putting in the library in the next few weeks. And this is a priority. Now back to, to Kevin. And yet, Virtually every pastor in America can tell you stories of churchgoers who have functionally displaced God in favor of the family. Parents who go missing from church for entire seasons because of Billy's youth soccer league or Sally's burgeoning volleyball career. Committed Christians who would never dare invite a college student or international over for Thanksgiving or Christmas because the holidays are for the family. Long-time members who can't be bothered to serve on Sundays or reach out to visitors because the whole family always gathers at grandma's for lunch. Christians, churches, sorry, that implicitly or explicitly communicate that marriage is a necessary step of spiritual maturity. Christians of all kind who will jettison their theology of marriage or their convictions about church discipline once their children come out of the closet or embrace other kinds of unrepentant sin. He goes on, the idolatry of the family can be a real problem, either from the church that ignores singles and gears everything toward married couples with children, or from the individual whose practical commitments underscore the unfortunate reality that blood is usually thicker than theology. End quote. Wow, hey. I think we need to chew on that and ask ourselves, have we, could we, would we make any of those errors? Or is our theology thicker than blood? Is our love for Jesus stronger than our loyalty to our family? Please understand, there's so much more we could have said here this morning. Just this past Tuesday, my wife and I taught at Moms and Tots for a whole hour on parenting. And there's, there's just so much about family and how to do this well. I wish we could talk about. But we started here because this is where the New Testament starts. This, these are the things that Jesus in the Gospels touch on repeatedly. These are the things that have changed with the New Covenant and so the question we just need to ask ourselves as we go out of here today is, how am I doing with all this? Is family everything? Is family nothing to me? Is Jesus my everything? We need to ask ourselves before the Lord, what does it look like to really believe these three truths? What does it look like to obey them? May the Holy Spirit help and guide you in answering those questions in a way that honors him.
I'm going to pray and then we're going to end by singing the church is one foundation. This is our family. The church. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us because we have potentially a lot to think about. Maybe, Lord, this simply confirms what we have already been living and practicing and doing and wherever we are, Lord, this morning, I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts. Help, Lord, our hearts, I pray, God, to be soft and receptive soil that your word would bear fruit in us this week and always. Jesus, be everything to us, please. Amen.